0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We got a little bit of football to talk about, but first, gentlemen, how have we been doing the past week since
1: we last talked? Good. Uh, As we will talk about, there were actually Georgia State events happening with the football team since we last talked. And so as we continue to, you know, slowly work back towards toe meeting leather and college sports being back, actually being at Georgia state stadium kind of made that feel like really it is starting to happen. And it's an exciting time, especially because obviously the United States is not through all of this pandemic that we have been dealing with, but we collectively minus a few trouble spots are in a better place. And it seems like we are more equipped for a college sports season than last time when it felt like maybe it was a little bit like cobbled together. And, uh, as it kind of had to be once the decision was made that a football season was going to happen. Uh, so yeah, it, it feels again, another step towards normality, which we have all missed dearly over the past year and a half.
2: Yeah, it's been great. Um, I had last weekend, I went to the art museum here um, with Katie. Um, shout out. You've been telling me to mention
1: you. So shout out. The Art Institute. Um, you got yeah. to look at the Sunday afternoon, like the Ferris Bueller. Uh, no, we so we they had
2: like the Obama portraits. Um, and, you know, I like realized like I have to now do all of my like Saturday activities, you know, because they're going to be pretty, pretty busy for the next like seven months. And there's a I keep seeing like NFL tweets. Or I think the like next NFL game is in like 30 days or something like 29 ish, 28 days. And, uh, you know, everybody's like really excited for football. And I'm like, man, I, I know that the NFL is coming back. And when the NFL comes back, that means college is coming back. So I I definitely echo your sentiments, Brady. I'm actually like pretty excited for some fall football this year. I don't, I don't know what the difference between this year and last year is because we still had it, but it just, it feels right. And it feels like things are going well. So
1: yeah, the times where, you know how I view sports works out nicely to where when the sport is happening, I'm like, I like this sport. This is great. And so that works with, with the three main ones with football, baseball, basketball, by the time each of them are happening, other ones are winding down and there's a nice transition where it's not really like any time where I'm sitting there like actively, like I miss all the sports or I miss this sport. But as college football season approach, you know, approaches, I've started finding myself more and more going to like those highlight compilation accounts on YouTube and finding like, I think what was the weird endings in college football is the one I watched recently and, you know, finding out those compilation videos because it is like, it's just nice to be talking about football again. It's getting to that time where, you know, baseball is great. Baseball will keep being great. Hopefully the Braves keep it great into October, despite all of the adversity they've been through with that. Um, but football is going to be joining the mix, too.
2: We're definitely not talking about baseball, Uh, not not talking about baseball at all.
1: But I I, I enjoy the disrespect you showed for the preseason NFL, which is like basically (laughs) happening now. It's already the Hall of Fame game happened. I mean, you're like football's back in like a month and it's like all these preseason games got to happen, which are super important. They matter a ton. And, you know, everyone cares deeply about it. Oh yeah, you know
2: we got to watch Hard Knocks with the Cowboys and figure out, you know, what weird Jerry Jones concoction is he going to come up with this week? Because apparently he puts salt on his McGriddle.
1: Excuse me. I, I found me? that out this morning. I think yeah, McDonald's he, already does that for you. I think there's you a, don't need a, more a hefty amount of sodium oh buddy trust there is a video floating
2: around of you know the cowboys owner gm extraordinaire putting a
0: hefty amount of salt on his mcgriddle so
1: surprised someone does do that for him
0: you'd think all the salt in the cowboys fandom would take care of that but i guess he just wants more
1: i I don't know really hard knocks there's not here i've never (laughs) hard knocked watched really uh I am looking forward to whatever the first I haven't heard what the first Dan Quinn in Dallas slogan has been. I I have not been tuned in too much, but I'm ready to find out how, you know, relentless and hungry that Dallas defense is going to be or whatever they're going to go with. I mean, it didn't necessarily end great in Atlanta with the old DQ, but he was always good for uh, one of those fun slogans or several or that was mostly what he did was just came up with things to say.
2: Honestly, he like the embodiment of Dan Quinn probably just got transferred to Dan Campbell up in Detroit because I don't know if you've like paid attention to any of his press conferences, but that dude is weird. (laughs) Like he is very much like football man, dude, bro, personified and we're totally off topic, which is great.
1: He's also drinking like the equivalent of eight Red Bulls and coffee every morning. He drinks like two venti iced coffees that he gets espresso shots in. And it's like, I'm a coffee drinker myself. And I like not going to the hospital as a result of drinking coffee to wake up in the morning. And so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Dan because that's a lot of caffeine every day. (laughs) I, I am not kidding by the way. He, that's like actually what he drinks. And it actually is like the equivalent of like six to eight Red Bulls, something like that. I don't know the actual number. I'm not a scientist, but
2: you saying that doesn't even surprise me though, because just listening to this man talk, it's just—it's honestly a journey. I—I I would love it if one of Georgia State's coaches talked like this. Just you know, not to like make fun of them, but just like it would—I feel like those press conferences would just be so fascinating to listen to.
1: You don't even have to—you know—bring any of your own energy. Dan will provide it.
2: He's probably handing out the coffee and Red Bull in the back.
0: So uh, good to know we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up to talk about. Uh, We're going to be continuing in this episode on our position previews with the linebackers and the safeties, uh, both of whom have preview pieces up on ThursdayNight.com. If you have not seen those already, go check those out. And we're also going to be starting our month by month look at the 2022 season. But first, Georgia State football hosted an open practice on Saturday, and Brady was in Center Park Stadium for the festivities. Brady, how was it?
1: Yeah, I uh, alluded to it earlier. It was, it was good to be back. Uh, my first impression was completely non-football related. And it's just that more of the apartments are up around there. And every time we you know see the arena, it feels like so much more work has been done. And so it's starting to really look like an arena on the outside. Uh, I, I mean, I will be honest. David and you have about as many concrete takeaways from the practice as I do, having actually been there and you guys weren't there because so the NCAA requires an acclimation period as fall camp starts up and as spring starts up when that happens, where they can't start in full pads. They've got to work their way up to. They start with just helmets and jerseys. They work up. They get there's another level. I forget what it's called. And then eventually they're in full pads and everything. And that should happen this week at some point, I'm imagining. Uh, But they were still there in just helmets and they were doing a lot of positional drills. Most of the time they were doing positional drills. And I'm sure intentionally very little of the actual, you know, practice was full on showing the playbook and everything. Uh, But it was a great event that got put on anyway, just for the fact that it's a nice way to have people in to show the program off, even if you aren't showing what you don't want to show. And, you know, that's absolutely their prerogative. But, you know, the main thing is just that practice is happening, which means football is close. And uh, yeah, I uh, I guess in the interest of stuff that has takeaways, I did want to tie in. On Thursday, we had a chance as the media to meet with Coach Elliott and Quad Brown and Blake Carroll via Zoom as a sort of startup press conference before the fall camp. And, you know, my number one takeaway from that was just. Quad Brown's got it, you know, whatever it is, hearing him talk as he took some questions, he's definitely got the right mindset to be a college quarterback, and he's still just a sophomore. It's going to be really exciting to see him keep growing.
2: I wanted to ask you, because obviously you went last year um, and it was like weird. Did the the vibe of the open practice kind of match kind of putting things back to normal or was it still a little bit more seeming like things were a little closed off? Or do you just think it was like, oh, it's just a spring practice and, you know, we aren't doing anything. Sorry, not a spring practice, but like, a oh, this is just the first open practice, if you will, you know. What what did you see, basically?
1: I mean, I just kind of just stood posted talking to some people around the uh, like the load standing area behind the whichever end zone that is. And people were sitting underneath, mostly underneath the shade in that end zone because, you know, it was hot out and they were smart and both sat down and found cover, which I did neither of. And was, I got a little bit of sun on that day. And my legs were tired after standing up most of the time, totally just by choice, because I just didn't find a seat. Yeah, I mean, it felt more normal. I don't think it, you know, last year I was up in the press area, in the press box. So I didn't really get a vibe of what it was like on that level last year. But it didn't seem, you know, like I mean, I know going around through the last year what it felt like when people felt really closed off and when it felt like you know there's a pandemic on and it didn't necessarily feel like that but it also wasn't like you know near your neck of the woods Lollapalooza where it was like you know whole hosts of people all hanging out together either so yeah I mean I don't know that if you went to that without any context of the last year and a half and you know it would be cool to have that experience. Um, but, uh, I don't think you would have necessarily known. It was like a practice at the start of a season that is somewhat affected by a pandemic still. Which is good. You know, I mean that that's access is important and,
2: you know, it helps us shine light on certain things. Um, and you know, you can see things better when they're a little bit more free flowing and moving. So that's, you know, that's important. Um, I, I kind of wish that these practices were a little bit more telling of different things. I understand why coaches don't really want to, you know, showcase too much. And I mean, it's, some of it is gamesmanship, but also some of it is just it's not really necessary. You know, like the practices that matter will happen when they happen. So, like, I get it. Um, but, it's, you know, it's still good to see that they're out there and they're doing stuff. You- I don't think that's a bad thing, anyway. That it happens.
1: I'll say this is that it was clear that even though they were in not full pads, that you know the same level of competitiveness that there was in the spring game was still there. You could tell there's you know it's just a good team, and you could see. I mean, I even just from what we saw, what, you could see that it was an exciting thing for them to be back on the field, and so we keep talking about the team the expectations of the team and you know that they have a lot of guys back and it really has felt like it that part of it with the you know excitedness and wanting to play that's really been building of late and i think winning kind of lends itself to that where everyone's feeling good about the team and a lot of them have won together because it's a lot of the same guys but the camaraderie feels there, and you could tell that even from what the practice was.
0: Okay, so let's go ahead and move on into our position preview, little accompanying bits here. Starting with linebackers. So this piece was published uh, last week on ThursdayNight.com. So, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit about linebackers.
1: So we had talked a little off-air about how we necessarily work in the loss of Jordan Strawn and what that means. And so I guess for a starting point here, I feel like it's a good chance we talked about the defensive line on the last pod and we could have talked about it some there and sort of what we talked about with the defensive line works into that conversation. But we can just go ahead and have that discussion now. And I guess I'm sure that I've said this off the pod and I think I might have said it on the pod. But the first thing I would say with that is that even if you take Jordan Strawn's numbers out of the sack totals from 2020, it would still be the most sacks Georgia State's had in a season even though he was the NCAA sack leader. And so I guess where I would start with is it feels like there's still a lot of guys. And this with the defensive line and the outside linebackers where you still think you're going to get some production. It's not necessarily like you're going from 100 to 20. They also
2: filled the position like immediately. I think he was uh, he announced that he was transferring and then. It was like a week, two weeks later, um, they announced that they had signed. Um, Who's that outside linebacker? Is from Lake Forest? Yeah, exactly. You know, which I—that's. You know, you, you expect something like that to happen in, you know, bigger programs when guys leave for the draft or, you know, you expect that out of like a pro team or something like that. When there's a a guy who had such a large impact, you know, you know that a team is going to be hunting for that replacement. But I I think you're right. You know, I think. You know, I don't say this to put down McCollum because that's that's I, I haven't seen his game. Um, you know, none of us have, but I think the replacement for Jordan Strawn in terms of production is probably already on the Panthers. Um, and they brought in McCullum just kind of to fill the, the body void because, you know, from a Sachs perspective in 2020, Georgia state was phenomenal, you know, and he, obviously Jordan Strawn was amazing. And, you know, we, we raved about his season, but, you know, the entire defense elevated their ability to get after the quarterback. So the next Jordan Strawn is probably already on the Panthers. And if McCollum gives you 30, if you can get the exact same level of production out of last year and McCollum gives you 30, 40% of what Jordan Strawn gave you, you're having another kick-ass
1: season. Excuse me. (laughs) Please. I speak in truth here. Uh, I'm interested to see how the outside linebackers shake out because, you know, as of right now, I put this in the article and not, you know, like 50% faith on. It feels like maybe the day one starters, John Trey Hunter, because he was kind of the starter at the one of the outside linebackers positions anyway by the end of last year. And then I think I said Ja'Shawn Jason Taylor for the other one. He's done some good work. Those two especially... It's been stuff with like the run stopping and Hunter's been a guy who he was a former safety. So he's able to go about, go out and cover it some more. You got to pick in the bowl game. So I think that he's a guy that you might lean on in the other side of things. Not to say he couldn't rush the quarterback either, but he's done some good work with pass coverage. I think it'll be interesting to see maybe McCollum starts. Maybe he doesn't, but he's the guy who comes in on passing downs, you know, third and long. And you know that he can just get ahead of steam and you can just have him come in, get after the quarterback him or Jamil Muhammad, who's another guy who I I think we really don't have any idea what he's going to do. But based on how he's shown early and what we've been able to see, I think he's, you know, impressively built for the position, especially given he was a quarterback last year. He's done a lot of work in that regard. And it's possible that it's still a year away from him being that type of guy and getting out the quarterback, and getting sacks and live action. Or it's possible he's, you know, lightning in a bottle and he's able to give you a lot more than, and maybe he's that guy that you were talking about. Uh, but I, that's what I'm going to be looking for, is just kind of like the rotations there. If McCollum, when Def Chart gets released, is the first string at an outside linebacker position, or if he's not. Because I don't know that's necessarily going to tell me that he's going to be a contributor or not. I think it's just going to be about how they use them. So uh, that's what I'm going to be watching as far as that group goes. I feel like,
2: you know, at the, you know, I I don't want to just ask about the depth necessarily, but I want to ask, how do you think the, like, best performers in this group will do? Like, do you think this is just going to be a strict position group that has a lot of depth, but they'll be, you know, just kind of okay. Or is this going to be, you know, one of the better defensive positions that Georgia state has?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And it's kind of hard to, this is the part that it's kind of hard to separate from the defensive linemen because even more so than just like the front seven work collectively together in this scheme, the outside linebacker position that, Jordan played that we're talking about with Jamar McCollum and Jamil kind of the rush end is kind of filling the role of like a fourth down lineman. And so they're all kind of going to be the guys that are tallying sacks. And so it's kind of hard to say, I mean, when you say good season, I assume you mean like statistically leading the team in stats and stuff. And so, you know, as far as that, I mean, it, it remains to be seen, I think. It's possible it is a group of a couple of guys that have pretty okay stats, but no one who's close to leading the country like Jordan was, but that you're still getting that production collectively. And so, I guess, to answer your question, at this point, without us being there, seeing the practices, it's hard to say that there's going to be any guy that is definitely flashing from the outside linebackers or from the defensive line that is going to do huge numbers in the sack department. Uh, But it's going to be about all of them working together, get after the quarterback pressure. And sometimes it might be Guy Flood gets, gets in to flush the quarterback from the pocket, and then someone on the other side is the one who gets the sack. But you can look back at the play and be like, well, Shamar really blew up that left tackle, and the quarterback had no chance, even though he didn't get the sack. And so it's going to be interesting. I think it is definitely not as simplistic as what I originally laid out with, you know, Obviously, you lose more than just the 10 and a half sacks from Jordan Strong because he was impactful on plays that he didn't get the sack on. And he was always they had the game plan for him. Defenses had to know that you couldn't just leave one guy on seven. He was going to get around any tackle you threw at him. And so there is going to be a little bit of a I don't want to say learning curve, but it isn't just as simple as, OK, just. someone out there and you know they'll replace the sack numbers it's going to take some work but i think they've got some options i think that they've got a lot of guys who know the system and have gotten comfortable in their roles and yeah nate Fuquay is the outside linebackers coach so it's it's not like he's a not aware of the importance of what Jordan did and what that position does for the defense and B it's not like he you know he's going to be the one in the room with those guys being able to figure out who is the right who who needs to be getting the reps who can get after the quarterback
2: No yeah that you know that makes a lot of sense I I like what you said about like the kind of it sounded to me like you were saying that the sum total of the group will be more than its parts and you know when I hear that I think of a guy like Blake Carroll Um, on the inside, I feel like if you look, if you were just watching game to game and, you know, not really looking at a a box score, you wouldn't realize just how important Blake Carroll has been, you know, how, how important he was for the Panthers last year. Um, he did lead the team in tackles, which, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. He kind of was everywhere. Um, and I, I I liked how he was used everywhere. And I think there were some times we were quote unquote hard on him because he you know would have a great play, and then you know if he had made a different play, you know a quarterback wouldn't have you know scrambled for a couple extra yards or you know he allowed a running back to break contain a little bit um but I, you know i I think Blake Carroll is a really good example of a guy who kind of solidified his own little role and used that to better his own play as the season went on. You know, I remember the Arkansas State game. Um I believe that was the game he had the fumble recovery. It was. And it it was either a touchdown or it was like Yeah, it was the scoop seventy four yards. Yes. And there was a couple of other instances throughout the season where you were where he either stripped the ball or was just, you know, right in there on the tackle. Um and, you know, the defense either recovered the fumble or they didn't recover the fumble. But, you know, there was a lot of there were plenty of really good plays from Blake Carroll. Um, and, you know, if you if you're looking for the, you know, smoking gun of, oh, Georgia State needs X, Y, Z on defense. And in, in this particular position group, you know, you not find it. But if you're looking and watching you know, Blake Carroll and John Trey Hunter, they're probably going to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, and those, those guys are important, you know, regardless of what the front seven is doing, regardless, or the defensive line is doing, regardless of if, you know, McCollum is anything, you know, you need those, those holdovers from last year who just kind of do their job and clog the middle. And, you know, if a running back gets to the second level that they are the ones to actually stop them from going any further. So. It'll be interesting to see kind of where, you know, that line of the defense kind of evolves, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels like maybe just the the inside linebackers. And this is probably true of most college defensive schemes, but they kind of set the floor for the defense. Um, And I think that's definitely the case with Blake Carroll. I mean, obviously, having 70 plus tackles in a season is impressive no matter what. I'm not saying what I'm about to say as a, you know, a dig or anything. I think even in this scheme, even more than some other schemes, a lot of the activity is funneled to where the inside linebackers are going to be guys getting tackles a lot. And so it's not surprising Trey John Stephen McQueen broke the school record with 20 tackles against Army when they last played in 2019. And given just how they were going to be attacking the option, where they were going to be taking trying to force them into different gaps and just trying to have the plays go in the inside linebackers direction. It's not as surprising that you see individual games like that. And overall that they're the ones leading tackles in the most of the year. But I think you're right that he started having a knack for just being in the right place and it led to him being able to make plays. I believe he forced the fumble or recovered the fumble that preceded the interception against Georgia Southern, the first of the two turnovers that basically clinched the game for Georgia State in that game. And obviously I think everything else aside from last season, that win and that comeback felt good. And so singularly a big deal for what might rate as the most important win of last year, depending on your opinion of things. And yeah, I he was one of the people we interviewed uh on Thursday, uh, available to the media and he was talking about how the defense wants to get after it and get more touchdowns, get touchdowns. And I was like, well, hang on, you got one last year. You you specifically got one. And um, he was happy to talk about it because he got the, he was a running back high school. He got to show off his jets another time on that scoop and score. And uh, yeah, I, I think that we saw Antavius Lane with a pick six. We saw that scoop and score. Actually, you know, defensive touchdowns are just fun. So in my opinion, just let's get some more of them this year. Let's. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) no arguments for me on that one. It feels like the other thing about the linebacker position, and this goes back even to other staffs, even to like the Trent Miles times. It's felt like the way that it's worked is. Because it's been a three, four every time there's been two inside linebackers. It's felt like there's almost always been a guy who is the set starter. Whether it was, you know, Joe Peterson, Trajan last year, Ed Kearney, uh, Chase Middleton. And there was a guy in the other position that maybe hadn't been a starter before if he had been limited and he got a chance to start for the first time and learn into it. And I feel like that's what happened with Blake is that he was the second guy, quote unquote, the other starter he wasn't necessarily looked at as like the leader of the defense or in the middle of the defense, quite like maybe Trajan was. But now that's him. And now on the other side, early indications is probably going to be Justin Abraham, who's redshirt freshman at the other position. And so you're going to get to continue that. But in this time, you know, Blake's a senior, but you've got a guy who's a freshman. And so if you've got a guy who's a freshman, who's getting a starting spot and getting to be that guy. And so next year, when you're talking about, this exact thing playing out where you've got another returning starter and then you might be replacing Blake spot. The guy you're talking about who is the experienced quote unquote guy is still an underclassman. And so I think that's a great experience, you know, great chance for Georgia state. I I think I'm interested to see, um, there's obviously some other guys there and a couple of interesting true freshmen that, you know, we'll see what we get from them, but yeah, floor of the defense, so to speak, and interested to see what the inside group does. So moving
0: on uh, yesterday, as of the publishing of this podcast, David put out a piece on the safeties. So, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on the safeties as we approach the 2021 football season?
2: Okay, so I'll take your uh, floor of the defense and I will raise you that the safeties are probably your ceiling, which is really good because Georgia State's. Uh, safety number one is an all sun belt caliber safety, uh, Antavius Lane, and then they also have a former ACC uh transfer in Chris Moore, who is expected to be opposite of him and starting. And you know, I really like the safety room for Georgia State, they They've got a good mix of top flight talent. They've got a lot of depth. They didn't lose a single person last year. Um, They've got a couple of guys who played cornerback or played elsewhere um, and they've come into the safety room. I can't remember which game it was. Um, I almost want to say it was App State, but please do not quote me on it. I'm speaking specifically of uh, Thomas Gore. I remember seeing him in center field and I was like, huh, it's you don't, you know, you don't normally see a cornerback playing where he was playing. And then Tyler from Gore. then on out Tyler Gore, excuse me. Um, it's right. Thomas scores on the defensive line. Um, Tyler Gore, uh, you know, he was, you know, he was playing like right in the middle of center field. Um, and I, you know, I don't think he got credited with the pass breakup on the play, but I, I made sure to notice it. And then afterwards he was listed as a safety for the rest of the season. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, but, you know, we probably could spend the rest of this podcast talking about Antavious Lane. Um, you know, he obviously brings all of the thump that you want out of a safety and he, you know, pretty easily is Georgia State's best safety, um, But, you know, there's there's definitely intrigue in the position other than just Ant Lane, you know, Uh, Chris Bacon will be there. Keon Carter will be there, you know, and those are guys who see a lot of time on special teams. And we'll talk about them a little bit more when we talk about special teams. But I really like how Georgia State uses safeties. And I mean, they that's how most colleges use them. But, you know, there is something to be said about taking guys and putting them as gunners on your special teams because it just it helps them with their tackling. It helps them with their instincts. Um, it helps them, you know, kind of develop a little bit of those football fundamentals. And so in the event that they do need to play safety, if they don't have those coverage skills, you can still live with them out there and have them not be getting burned just because they have such sound fundamentals. And that's you know, that's exactly how a guy like Keon Carter has made a name for himself in Georgia State.
1: Got on scholarship. He got a fumble recovery against Coastal back in a uh, 2019 it was the first time we really took note of him and be like oh that's a guy and he was on special teams now he's a scholarship and yeah it's a, you know he subbed for Antavius Lane a couple of games last year and at least the South Alabama game and it was one of those where you look at it and you're like well you don't really want to go into the game with your best player not playing but it really didn't seem like Antavius Lane was missing and without maybe a highlight play like that crazy interception Antavius got in the bowl game, but uh, it it was impressive and it made, I guess after we've talked a lot about depth, 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 and you're right to say that there are a fair amount of options in the safety room. It's a pretty deep group. I will take the time with this position group to make it about the starters because I think it is a good starters group. And, you know, I also agree. It probably would be bad post- podcasting. You just keep talking about Antavius, but he might be the best safety in the Sun Belt. And that's as an underclassman still. And it really is a guy that Georgia State really hasn't had that type of a player on defense ever. And that's you know not as impressive as the program has been around for a hundred years, but it is still the type of defensive playmaking and especially in the defense backfield where, and whether it's the run of the past, he's always a factor could lay down the boom or could get a pick six. And so, yeah, I think you're right that a lot of the potential for big plays and maybe raising the ceiling of defense comes with the back end with the safeties. Absolutely. And,
2: it you know, the nice thing about Lane being as strong of a safety as he is, is it lets you do a ton of different things with the other position, you know, Chris Moore, again, another good safety, obviously a starting caliber safety. We could make the argument that he could find his way. Like It wouldn't surprise me, at least, if he found his way on a Sunbelt all-conference list by the end of the year. But in the event that he's not giving you what you want, you still have a ton of other guys who are starting caliber safeties and who can do things and you can kind of leave them on an island a little bit because you have Lane doing what he is doing, just kind of over the top and you know defending things the way that he is, you know, I he, I believe he got an interception in the Southern game. No, that was, that was Kwa. Um, But I, I, you know, some of the, some of the past deflections that he got throughout the years where it was just like, okay, a quarterback is testing him one-on-one and he was beating guys. Like, you know, he is also the guy that's coming up and getting running backs and, you know, getting tackles at the line of scrimmage or just right, in that in the second level, not the third level, he is coming up into the second level, you know, and laying the boom on guys. And that's how he get got he got that nickname hit stick. You know, you need a guy who is able to go backwards and forwards and do that. And, you know, it, it like I said, it allows you to keep a guy like Chris Moore kind of back in on that third level with the cornerbacks and or, you know, keep a guy like Chris in the box because you can just mix and match and keep ant lane deep in the case that a team is going to go over their head. So that versatility is just so incredibly important. And you, you know, you see it in spades with these two starters.
1: And I think ultimately more than anything else, safeties sort of exist. It's sort of the keys in the name as a valve to avoid necessarily getting beat over the top and giving the big plays up. And it was something that Georgia state maybe struggled with earlier in last season. And has maybe been when things aren't going right for Georgia state's defense in general, under Nate Fuquay And when coach elliott has been here, it's been with big plays happening. And that kind of got shut down with, as the season went on, uh, partly because the pass rush was getting good, partly just because all the guys in the secondary were playing better, but that's going to be, you know, that's still an important thing of what they're going to do. In spite of the playmaking we talked about with lane, they're still going to have to be the guys that aren't letting big 60-yard run or big 60-yard pass happen and you know on balance the way the season ended I think that that was something that they were having success with and uh, that's something still going to be probably the most important thing they do
2: you know it's it's weird to think about it because like you know you look at the game log or whatever like Lane played in that crazy Arkansas State game so you know you kind of ask okay how how is he affecting things if, you know, there was a quarterback who was able to just throw just so over the top on Georgia State? Honestly, I I don't see the Georgia, you know, famous last words. Let me knock on some wood here, but I don't see Georgia State's secondary being thrown over in that fashion like they were in that stretch where it was Troy, Arkansas State and Coastal in those three back to back to back weeks who just absolutely torch that defense, you know, even if there are no adjustments made and no guys take a step, even if there are no adjustments made and no guys take a step forward this year, I think just the way that they kind of evolved by the end of the year you really saw a situation where it wasn't just that guys were in the right position they you know allowed to, they were allowing themselves to use that talent to prevent you know certain plays and you know that's what spurred that Southern comeback because Southern decided they wanted to start throwing the ball in the second half for some inexplicable reason and I mean you you saw it and, you know we, we'll talk about quarterbacks when we get there but you saw it with Kwa White with that interception at the end there you saw it with Ante lane and you know in some different games he didn't play in the southern game but you know the app state game i remember he was all over the place that's they had such little when they finally had success is because they stopped throwing towards him on that side of the field and they started keeping things in front and got some good blocking and you know hats off to them and their game plan but um he, he still had an interception in that game you know so I am really curious to see how the safeties kind of evolve and just, you know, how they elevate their play from last year, you know, especially after that weird, weird Arkansas
0: state game. All right. So we've got more position previews coming out uh, over the next couple weeks as we approach the season. But now let's move on to a bit of a different segment here. We're going to call scheduled gut impressions, I suppose. So what this is, is we're going to talk about the games in September. If you're not aware of uh, this episode, at least talk about games in September. Of course, the season opener on the fourth versus Army at Center Park Stadium. And then the following week on the 11th at UNC uh 918 at home versus charlotte and then the game on the road at Auburn. So gentlemen, what are your thoughts about the September schedule slate?
1: Yeah, so this was my idea, I can say. Um and my thought was this is this isn't gonna be like the preview for these games. We're gonna do those like we do every year. We're gonna give it a lot more in depth with them, especially since we'll have actual twenty twenty one games to talk about with them instead of just saying i wonder what this is going to be like but i just thought this was a good opportunity for us to talk through just gut impressions now that football's nigh and get a chance to put a win and loss on record just for the fun of it and so i guess we are going to start with the season opener against army uh david what are your thoughts on the army black knights
2: Well, um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that 2019 affair, uh, which was a ton of fun. Um, Georgia State came out on top in that one, and that was kind of a weird game. I don't think a lot of people expected Georgia State to win that one. Um, But, you know, they won 28-21, so hats off to them. But this is not that Army team. And if you are looking for, quote unquote, a reason to be concerned, this Army team, the Army team in 2020 was much better at running the ball. First of all, they were much better at protecting the ball, which is not something that they did particularly well um, against Georgia State two years ago. But also, I think when you have a team like Georgia State who has experienced against high running offenses and especially, you know, they've happened to play in a conference with like the other option team in the country. um I still think that you could expect Georgia state to win this one. Um You know, army does a lot of things in terms of like tempo and their lack of tempo. Um, you know, they're, they're really a, Ground, pound, ground, pound, kind of they want to like draw you out and kind of cut death by a thousand cuts you on defense. And, you know, even if the last couple of years when Georgia State has lost to Georgia Southern, I don't think that it's been because the defense has just been super overmatched. I think. You know, you had a couple of instances where the offense just wasn't able to keep up with Georgia Southern. And so you had a defense that was out there that was a little bit more tired. Um, and you know, kind of later in the game, that's when you saw a lot of the big plays. But Georgia State, by and large, have been burned by the bigger passing plays the last couple of years. Um, you know, or it was just really good blocking on run plays, but they were like zone runs, you know, it wasn't like a just a straight up the gut kind of chuck except for we're talking about the coastal game that we don't talk about um i don't foresee that georgia state will necessarily struggle to defend army you know army is still gonna put up 400 yards you know probably three four touchdowns but it would not surprise me in the slightest if they did that but i think just given the offensive weapons that georgia state has you know they will be able to match them score for score you know if quad does take that step forward that we think that he's going to this year
1: yeah, I mean, looking back at the 2019 game, Georgia State had 60 plays, which is pretty low in general and also low for how many plays they like to run. They like to get to push the tempo sometimes. And so Army is the team that's going to limit your possession. So the one factor for me is just what Georgia State's going to do with the time that they do have the ball. And early in the year last year, when Quad had his struggles early in the year, the problem was staying on the field on third down, even with some makeable throws and some makeable distances. And so you'd think that that's not necessarily going to be the problem like it was then because he continued to get better at that. And the offense started to find over them and it's the same offense. And so you'd like to think that that won't be the issue, but you know, there's a world where they're, you know, three of 13 on third down, not able to stay on the field. And so even if army's offense isn't, blowing you out it just makes it harder for you but i i tend to agree especially as we're talking about your know, georgia state wants these lofty goals of winning the sunbelt title this game doesn't have any bearing on that obviously but it just it still feels like a game that you're at home take care of business it's going to be a, a winnable game even if it isn't somewhere you're going to be an outright huge favorite against it's still a game that you'd like to think that you can win in your own stadium and so yeah I, i've got it as a win as well at this point
2: and, you know, this is kind of a macro view of everything, but Sunbelt football has been really good at, in their out-of-conference slate, you know, both the Power 5 and against G5 teams um, over the last three to four-ish years. So you're right. This has no bearing on Georgia State's lofty goals of winning the Sunbelt. Absolutely doesn't. But at the same time, though, they still want to represent the Sunbelt, and I know for a fact that they're going to treat this game just as if they would if it was a Sunbelt game and they were fighting for that last, uh, the the championship spot against the Sunbelt West if this was December or something.
1: So I guess we can move on down to the next game when Panthers head up to play UNC. And these games are always weird to talk about, especially at this point when we're just doing gut reaction. Cause like the gut reaction is they're a top 10 team and they've got a future first round quarterback in the next draft. And so it's going to be tough for Georgia state. It's, it's one of those things where you're playing a power conference school. Even if you are a good team, which we believe Georgia state's a good team. If that team shows up for, it and if they're playing mistake free football, it's hard to beat them in those type of games. I, uh, what you gotta hope for is it's a team that has issues, like maybe that Tennessee team that Georgia State did play. Or you've gotta out tough them and you've gotta be the team who's more engaged. And so Yeah, I don't have a lot more to say about it. I mean, I don't wanna be that Debbie Downer like Georgia State can't win because Georgia State's got a power conference winning record, you know, winning streak they've got going. And so obviously it would be a nice win to have put a nice feather in the cap. But yeah, I've got it as a loss. I think that it will be a nice experience. It'll be a nice chance for Quad to go against a good defense, and depending on how the game goes, it's going to be a nice chance for Mckeeley to get some reps, maybe some substantial amounts of reps in the second half, and see what he's got and get him a chance to play in a big stadium like that. And so that's what I got to say about that.
2: I, you know, there is a path for Georgia State to win, um, and it involves Sam Howell not being the guy that everybody thinks that he is. Um, which is to say, as of right now, a lot of people think he's the best quarterback, you know, heading into the season, which, you know, fair, fine. Uh, honestly, I just want to see the defense play a good half. I remember they played, uh, NC state like two years, ago, three years, ago. 2018, 20, 2018. Yes. Um, and I don't know necessarily that they were going to win that game. But there was a couple of instances where Georgia State made a couple of plays and were hanging around a little bit more than you would expect them to. Um, and, they, you know, they, they played well for about a quarter and a half. And so I I just want them to play well for one half. You know, if they're getting blown out 50 to zero at halftime and that playing well is against the backups. OK, I, you know, I'll take that in the second half. The reality of the situation is we are probably – talking about a UNC team that might be in the ACC championship game, if, you know, all goes well for them. Could be. Um, very a team well
1: that probably be. will be disappointed if they are not.
2: Correct. Um, you know, not, again, not to say that Georgia State can't beat them, not to say that, you know, weirder things have happened, but the likeliest of outcomes is that this is probably a loss for Georgia State. But well, that's OK, right. because then, yeah, then they host Charlotte.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I Charlotte is it. I don't really know what to make of Charlotte because they had covid situation like basically no one else who played a full season had. And they ended up playing six games. They didn't play a game in November. They played all through October and then didn't play again until December, I think would have been their last regular season game. And so. I almost don't have any takeaways from that. I mean, we were supposed to play them last year, had the situation with Georgia State's positive test that ended up being a lab thing, and we don't have to talk about it because I I am sure that the coaching staff wanted to get that game in and all the. But again, I, I shortened to the point you want to do what you want to do this year. This is a team at home. You should be beating Um, not to take anything away from Charlotte. They've been building something the last year. They really got a season that they got to play. They were a bowl team. So it's not like you can just put them aside and say, Oh, easy win. Yeah. Georgia state doesn't have any FCS games on the schedule and FCS games. Don't if you treat them like gimmies, that's where you get in trouble. But especially if all you're playing is teams at your subdivision level, then you can't say anything is an easy win, but it's one that I think they've got to look at, especially with the two power conference games on either side of this one. That they've, they've got to look at that one and say, we've got to take care of this one. And so I see it that way. I see it as a home win to zero in home in the month of September for me.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't dare call the you know third game of the season a must win game by any stretch of the imagination. So I will say that it is a must-play-well game. Uh, You know, I kind of remember thinking about Charlotte and just looking at some of how they played last year. They really struggled with teams that are good on the ground, and we kind of expect Georgia State to be a good team running the ball this year. That's kind of what they the identity that they've created on offense, you know, even though Quad was able to sling it a little bit last year. Um, You're at home, even if the season is terrible and doesn't go your way. This is still probably a game that you want to have, you know, and like I said, you, you want to play well. If, if it's one of those situations where a fluke thing happens at the end there, and you know, you don't end up with the win, as long as you play well, you'll take that.
1: And then wrapping up this first segment of us doing this next week, we're going to hit the October games the week after so on, so on. Can't wait to talk about the January games before the first game. Um, The last game of the Septembers, they head over to Auburn. Uh, Super doable trip. Looking forward to being there myself. Uh, Again, it's another one like UNC. It's not necessarily, they don't have the pedigree this year with the team. They're not a preseason top 10 team. But I thought that Brian Harsin was a good hire. It's an SEC school. And even though Georgia State's winning games against those teams recently, I guess my it's the the most base level goal that I think any team goes into with these games is if in one or both of the games, Georgia State is covering, not letting Auburn or North Carolina beat the spread. I think that's a win, like David said, with UNC, seeing them play good halves and seeing them keep it close and making the SEC fans nervous, especially because Georgia State did it the last time they played SEC school. That's better. It's still, I would say, a likely loss. But with what would we think this team could be? I guess what I would say about both the power conference games is I just want to see how they look against these teams, because we think that Georgia State's got a pretty good squad. And we know that both UNC and Auburn have talented squads, deep squads, power conference squads. And so, you know, more than anything, I just want to see what they've got against those guys because it's going to get them ready for the tough games that are happening you know especially the two road ones against coastal and louisiana um should also say at this point we aren't talking about these games yet but uh preseason poll came out i believe it was louisiana and coastal are both ranked and so it's exciting stuff for georgia state because that's another chance if they're still ranked when they play them to uh get a ranked win, but just in general, it's really good for the conference. I mean, when Georgia state joined the conference, no one was necessarily in that conversation at all. And so obviously you want it to be Georgia state of Georgia state fan to be the one getting votes and getting ranked. But no matter what good teams getting credit and getting that number next to the name on the scrolly bar on ESPN, that's only good for the conference as well, just because it's showing what we've known that this conference keeps getting better and better.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, you said a lot there and I kind of agree with your comments on Auburn. Um, I am by no means doing what I did for Tennessee. When I say this, I think that situation was a little bit more perfect stormy. Um, if you were looking for a team that Georgia State, the of the two power five teams, if you were looking for a team that Georgia State is probably a little bit closer in matching up with, I think it would be Auburn um, of sorts. You know, I, I know that they're the SEC. I know that they kind of recruit better than Tennessee, and, you know, they're in a little bit of a transition year. Um, I just think that they have a little bit... They have some questions at quarterback. I think they... Outside of just SEC big bodies, you know, there are some questions around their roster, um, which isn't to say that they're going to be bad. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Auburn's a bowl team by the end of the year. Um, I just think there will be kinks for them to work out as they go through their, you know, new coaching hire and kind of transition into what whatever it is that they're going to be over the next couple of years. Um, but I still think that the talent deficit and the floor for them is good enough that they probably will still be Georgia state. So
1: yeah, just the play one well, worth, you know, yeah, the, the one thing worth noting, if there is such to believed as, you know, trap games and such is Georgia state does play Auburn smack dab in the middle of when Auburn is going to play Penn state and LSU the week after. So such as there's a chance that you could catch them sleeping, especially if they're coming off a win against Penn State, they're going to be feeling good about themselves about, you know, there it is. There you have it. That's possible mojo you can go with. Um, I guess, you know, wrapping up my thoughts on that and just the September schedule in general, in what I was saying was nothing to take away from that. Georgia state played a hell of a game. One of the better games we've seen them play when they beat Tennessee. I think it's a case where Georgia State could play one of those games and still lose, especially North Carolina, just because they're also a really good team. And it's not a situation where Tennessee had some issues they're working through. And so I just want to see them play a game like they did up in Knoxville and then see what happens. It might still be a loss, but th- that's ultimately where I'm at. It's just you can play as good as you did against Tennessee. It might not be a win, but do that and see what happens. And in the meantime, take in cool experience.
0: All right, so that just about wraps everything up for this week. As another reminder, make sure you check out the full written pieces on both of the position groups we discussed in today's episode on ThursdayNight.com. We've got more on the way, and we've got other content coming as well as we ramp up into the 2021 2022 academic year. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. See ya. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises LLC on behalf of ThursdayNight.com unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-host Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at ThursdayNight or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com. At